Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. Hi, everybody. So I'm super excited to be speaking with the amazing Lou Johnson today. Lou, you and I have known each other for a while in this world of publishing. So I think connecting with you from the first moment I saw you, I just felt just a really beautiful, authentic connection. So Lou, I'd love to sort of chat about how we know each other. So how did we first connect? Let's talk about the publishing world. Okay. Well, I was having a major flashback seeing you at the other end of this Zoom to when we first Zoomed, which was right in the thick of... Was that in pandemic or was that separately too? I don't even know. It It was was pandemic. And then we jumped into connecting through Murdoch Publishing. So it was just an absolute joy to speak with you. Tell me about your role with Murdoch and how we sort of came about creating together. Absolutely. Well, I was referencing that catch up because just really wanted to echo what you were saying about meeting me. It felt like there was a real sort of meeting of spirits. And at Murdoch, I, I used to head up the Murdoch team. My title there was publishing director, which encompassed all of the sort of editorial direction of the business and all of the commercial functions of the business. And Murdoch was shaped very much around this premise of adding value to people's lives, uh, what we call books for living life well. And I was so excited about your work because ultimately what I'm always driven by is empowering people. and. I have been in publishing for a long time and the beauty of books and words and stories is that they can empower people through the sharing of stories, storytelling, you know, we're hardwired for story and it really bridges empathy and connection and understanding and you really embodied all of those things. Thank you so much. It's really about values, isn't it? It's about heart connection and authenticity and values alignment which is why I was so absolutely joyous in the team, in you and the team that supported me in the creation of the Mind Strength Method, because it was really about a deep alignment on a passion to make a positive difference in the world that we live in. 
and to leverage the beautiful opportunities to change the world, right, (laughs) through creation. Absolutely. And what a privilege that is to get that opportunity to do that. Such a privilege, such a privilege. And it is the power of the village and it's the power of making purposeful, heart-driven choices around uh, the individuals who you align with. Some of the exquisite work that you've been writing lately is really about the power of values. I'd love to hear more about the things that you've been writing lately and what underpins those pieces of work. Sure. You know, I often say, or people say, you know, what have you done professionally? You know, I talked about identity in one of those. So the other question would be, in a sense, who are you? What do you do? And it's amazing how in the public sphere, those two things seem to be so interconnected. I've worked in publishing for a long, long time. But I would also very strongly identify what I've always done as leadership. I am, it's very public, about two, well, close to three months ago, my job suddenly disappeared with a very exciting publisher out of the US. Mm. And in many ways, I've always been very outspoken in the workplace in relation to really being able to be human at work and really always tried to lead. And I use that term advisedly because I really don't believe it. I mean, I don't think leadership is about hierarchy anyway. I think it's about actually playing to everybody's strengths and being the sum of multiple parts. I'm up for operating systems. I'm not particularly interested in overt hierarchy. The kind of way I've been speaking in the articles that I've been writing is authentic to the way that I would have always spoken within the workplace, within the teams that I've operated in. But I guess some of those things are not necessarily the way you're supposed to speak as an executive externally. I found that suddenly I was really liberated to be truly myself. And as I started thinking about what I wanted to do next, what I knew more than anything was that in my, at 54, I wanted to be 100% myself and I've always been pretty authentic, but I really wanted to do that. And it was just a, this is me, but it was bigger than that. It was that I can share my experiences and by extension, perhaps make it okay for other people to share stories, make it okay to be vulnerable. And as I said at the beginning, storytelling is a form of connection. It's a combination of that. And then also I'm now starting to explore topics that may be a slightly taboo. I'm starting to work up an article on menopause. I feel like I've just got so much to talk about, but it's not really about me talking about me. It's more about sharing experience to to open up conversations. And if I had this sort of really lofty goal sitting underneath it, it would be around doing my bit to help shift the workplace paradigm, which I still think has, you know, we've got a long way to go on development. How um, magnificent is all of this paradigm shifts and shaking things up? I'm all for shaking things up and paradigm shifts because, you know, we're on this planet to make a difference and to have impact, positive impact. And it's really interesting. I'm kind of reflecting on your word outspoken. And, you know, when we hear the word outspoken, it kind of brings up emotion. And typically my guess is it brings up outspoken and negative connotations. But if we think about outspoken as just a word, and if we bring it back to outspoken, really bringing it back to values of authenticity and values of heart and heart-driven action to make a difference, boy, isn't that wonderful to be outspoken, huh? Yeah, it's really thrilling. Literally the day after I knew that this job had ended or was ending, I just had such a strong 
sense that I wanted to continue to have positive impact and I felt that I had the opportunity to do that on a bigger scale. So, you know, I've spoken quite publicly that there's a bit of a roller coaster that's attached to the whole experience and certainly some days I, I do the whole you know, I fall foul of imposter syndrome and and all of those other things of the why me and why would people be interested to hear from me? And then it's really interesting. It's kind of like there's this really strong other voice. I won't say it's another voice, another part of me that just says, well, why not me? And what's been wonderful is that I've had so much unsolicited response and that makes me feel that it's important to keep speaking out. So, but outspoken, you're right. It's always had negative connotations. And I was talking to somebody earlier today saying there is a lot of work that is going on around female empowerment, but there is a dominant paradigm. And I think that everybody's all for us finding our voices. There's a discomfort when we start using them. And then there's a next challenge about how do we use our voices in a constructive way. And I'm not talking about softening the pitch or anything like that, but finding those points of connection. Um, 100%. And I love talking about empowerment. Let's just talk to empowerment mm -hmm. and empowerment being authenticity and values, right? And empowered action, assertiveness. I love to say assertiveness is our human right. When we talk about female empowerment, it's potentially because there has been a challenge around embracing assertiveness and recognizing assertive is not aggressive, assertive is not passive, assertive is our right. And I love to bring this in a space of defining and aligning to empowerment and being a human right. Mm -hmm. And we're all in this together as human beings. It is our human right towards empowered action. And I think it's just thrilling that you are leaning into this space and standing up to that second guessing voice yeah. and creating space and self-reflection to bring it back to values. This is core to, when I talk about from anxiety to action, it's really about moving out of fight or flight driven stuff or second guessing or those, you know, that critical voice that says we're not worth it into alignment to your values. I'm really curious to know about the leadership paradigm shift <laughs> in big words. Yes. I would love to know what you mean by that. By that? Yeah, they are big words. It's something that I've always done instinctively, which is really, for me, it's all about humanizing the mm -hmm. workplace. And that's not easy because, the, you know, we could talk for about an hour about the workplace, but, and I'm really thrilled that there are conversations that are now happening that, you know, I've, I've been having with people for quite some time. And the workplace paradigm is, a, you know, it's a post-industrialist, very structured environment that was built for process and production of, of items. I'm about to do another article about this, which is really, you know, the, the issue though is that we're people, not widgets. I think that often we can end up taking positions, making assumptions, all based on a lack of understanding of each other mm -hmm. and also sometimes a lack of space to be able to be human, to be able to just check in with somebody to ask the question. Brené Brown speaks about this so fabulously in um, Dead Lead and, and in all of her work. I love discovering her work because 
I'm not saying I'm some guru in this space, but it's how I've always thought. I've, I've just always felt that it's not only okay, but it's really important to be able to be human. Mm. Now, obviously, that my journey or, or my view on this has evolved as I've got older. And another reason I feel like I'm in a position now to be able to share more of my experiences is I've gone from being somebody, you know, from entry point into the workforce through to having children in the workforce, through to going through menopause in the workforce, through to now, you know, finally for the first time losing my job in the workforce. I've been in leadership roles since I was really young. I was in quite a senior leadership role at 25. I was leading a, a team of 30 sales reps. So it's just what I've always done. But as over time, I've become more and more comfortable with being myself and, but mostly actually trying to really encourage other people to feel confident to be themselves and that themselves is enough Absolutely. and that we are all different and that we all have complementary strengths. Yes. And early in my career, I don't know where I heard it, but I heard this fantastic piece of advice about you don't need to be an all-rounder. And in fact, it's better to not be an all-rounder. And if we're all the same, if we're all doing the same thing, then we can't actually do great things together. Yeah, beautiful. Absolutely. Recognize our strengths and align to those strengths and and be true to who we are. Well, so we're people. We're, yeah. we're people. We, you know, so the, the words I used to use are that we do bring our whole selves to work. Now, not everybody wants to bring their whole self to work. Mm. Lots of people want to just compartmentalize mm. and work is a fantastic escape or distraction from everything else that's going on in life. Mm. But I do think that even if you're at work and you're distracting and you're compartmentalizing, that stuff's still going on. So it has to be having some impact on uh-huh. you. A hundred percent. And, you know, as a, as a high performance coach to CEOs and, and senior executives and think it's, it is all about the whole self. And, you know, sometimes I'm jumping in and helping my magnificent clients with their relationships with their kids or their relationships with their partners. And otherwise it's how to build thriving teams and standing up to conflict within the workplace and such. How can we not bring our whole selves to work? And how can this holistic approach to being a leader in the workspace not be core to thriving high performance? We've got both got so much to riff on. What what is really interesting is that these things all used to be perceived and still are perceived often as soft skills soft skills of leadership or Mm -hmm. until recently they weren't even perceived to be skills they were perceived to be weaknesses and particularly you use words like empathy and encouraging people to be themselves in the same sentence as leadership that was seen to be oxymoronic whereas now finally thank goodness that is a language that is starting to permeate the workplace and a methodology. Absolutely. And it's it's just so, so wonderful at many different layers. You know, when people recognize we're not robots as leaders, we are human beings as leaders. And to be a vulnerable leader is to be a champion leader, a high performing leader. You know, one of the hottest topics at the moment that I'm speaking on is psychological safety in the workplace and the many different layers to psychological safety and everything that you're talking to right now is how to build a thriving, high-performing workplace. The soft skills are not soft at all. (laughs) The soft skills are core to standout leaders. And so I'm so thrilled that you are driving this paradigm and driving an allowance for vulnerability. It's really powerful. As a clinical psychologist, talking to the word anxiety 
it's quite funny the reactions I get to this word mm. because it is just a word. And when we explore what it is, even well-being and the whole world of well-being, like a bolt-on to high performance or a bolt-on to like, let's just do our due diligence yeah. around well-being because, well, we just better do it because otherwise we might get the red flag or whatever it is. When people recognize that this is core to high performance, it's like the light bulb moments absolutely drop. So mm. I love this. So when you're talking about the paradigm shift and the challenges that you have in this space or you've experienced in this space, what are some of the challenges you've come up against? Well, it's interesting. And I'm always, you know, I've worked at a few places, so I'm always conscious of being as uh, I will always be professional. I think sometimes, I mean, uh, the whole gamut of things, sometimes I, not everybody likes my style. Lots of people. How would you describe it? How would you describe your style? Highly collaborative. I think aloud. I love bouncing off people. That's not for everybody. I, I'm about to get my assessment done for ADHD now that I, I've discovered I have two daughters who are neurodivergent. So I jump around a lot. Uh, as I said, I love to bounce. I love to really think out loud. I really love to include the team. Mm -hmm. So some people think I'm a bit too consultative. Mm -hmm. Some people can find me a bit too grey because that might be sometimes the the thinking out loud and and sort of trying to have everybody be a not everybody it's it's not doing things by committee but it's making sure that people are heard and you know I said before I really like to play to people's strengths so I I am a good leader I'm very confident that I'm a good leader and I don't feel like you know there's no need for me to shrink away from that it's mm. I, I re really believe that it's a great strength of mine mm. because. By and large, people feel good about themselves yes. in the workplace and they enjoy each other. And they have a, something that I love to do is kind of pull everything apart to understand what everybody does, how they contribute. And I talked about before about the sum of the parts. And I like to share that knowledge across the team so that people aren't working in isolation and that everybody actually has a real appreciation and understanding. They don't need to know how to do the other person's job, but they have an appreciation for it. So it is valued. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really important to me that everybody in a team feels really valued and actually of equal value because every role that everybody plays in a team really has an equal part to play in the success of that team. I really like to be very clear on values of the business, the vision. So I talked before about storytelling. So I love discovering the story of a business, really what its why is, why we're all coming to work every day so that we all buy into it. So, so that's the kind of leader I am. And that's the kind of leader that I always have been. There will be people, as I said, who don't haven't loved working with me. There'll be people who have been recipients of of me having to also make really tough decisions. And I'm pretty determined when I know that we need to work on on getting the whole team into alignment. Absolutely. And it's that's so magnificent though. And it's about, you know, recognizing that clarity on your mission, your purpose, your strategic goals and values as an organization and as an individual and alignment to those values and that direction enables you to move forward out of, let's say, fight or flight driven stuff. Sometimes we do need to make the tough decisions, but when you dig deeper and say, right, this is driven out of 
clarity of strategic direction and not out of, you know, anything to do with butting heads with somebody or ego or blame or these sorts of things which undermine capacity for high performance. That is really champion leadership right there. So it's really interesting when you say people haven't liked it. I think that when we talk about psychological safety, that is very aligned to driving psychological safety in the workplace. When people feel heard and safe through consultation, it is people are going to be comfortable to try and comfortable to take steps out of their comfort zone, right? Be comfortable in discomfort. (laughs) Absolutely. And I've got a number of examples where that's exactly a process that we've been through. One of the things I love doing as a leader is building and turning businesses around. That naturally comes with a period of, of immense discomfort for everybody, including me. It's not that I love the discomfort, but I love untangling the things that might be getting in the way of success and I guess surfacing them. Where that can be tricky is when you're working as a leader within a division of the business, there's just about always <laughs> another layer. Trying to take those sort of cultural changes up into a broader business are tricky. And I'm quite happy to speak a, a good example of that would be, you know, I used to be the managing director of Simon & Schuster and there were a lot of things that were great about Simon & Schuster internationally, but ultimately it was a very big organization that was a tiny part of CBS, which was a company that is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And it's not that excited about values and purpose. And so we had a beautiful, the team used to call it a bubble in Australia and New Zealand. And it was a bubble internationally and it was a bubble even within the industry in Australia. For me, and when I chose to leave that role, it was because I felt like I'd sort of almost done a cycle of leadership there. We were incredibly successful. I knew that ultimately I was not going to be driven to get out of bed every day to contribute to the stock performance of that business. Having said that, my experience has been when you get all those things in alignment, you get great business performance. If if the business model, underlying business model is sound, you will get really, really great results. Fortunately, globally, when we, you know, we've got champion leaders of multinationals now being champions of change because of recognizing really the human factor and return on investment. I I think Um, that's so true. I mean, and I left there quite some time ago and the world has shifted quite a lot and the fashions of leadership are changing and for all the reasons that we discussed before. So mm-hmm. that, that could be well, well be quite different now. But, uh, you know, I was a pretty early pioneer of vision, values, purpose. Mm. And certainly in some roles early on, you know, I had people I would report to who would say, but no, 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 you're just like the, really yeah. the goal is just the bottom line. And I go, no, 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 the bottom line tumbles out of those things. No, no, no. Yeah. So it's just interesting. And how fascinating and fabulous to be a pioneer, Lou. It's just absolutely magnificent. I would love to hear more about your journey. You mentioned that at the age of 25, I think you said you were managing a very large team and so let's let's go to where it began (laughs) because this is such a magnificent journey tell me where it all began so where where did you grow up tell me a little bit about sort of Lou as a kid as as a teen sure sure so I grew up in Sydney I was really lucky I I grew up 
in a very privileged spot that at the time was not privileged. I grew up in the lower north shore of Sydney. There was some army land just in front of our house, five acres, and I had horses, unbelievably. So I had almost like a semi-rural childhood in Sydney. Sounds really idyllic. Many parts of my childhood were. I've spoken quite publicly in an article recently about the fact that my mother was an alcoholic. That gave me a a lot of resilience Mm. and a lot of skills. I've read so much literature about it. Interestingly, I have two brothers. All three of us ended up in sales. And I understand a lot of children of alcoholics end up in sales because they're very good at reading situations and becoming a bit chameleon-like. So that was kind of me in a way. Um, That's really, really fascinating. And so growing up in this environment and you say it enabled you to establish resilience as a kid. Tell me a little bit about that and how you were able to manage that very challenging situation and move into resilience. Mm. What was the experience well, for you? I was incredibly lucky. I've got a fantastic relationship with my father. I had a really complicated relationship with my mother mm. because of the addiction. And she could be extraordinary, but very Jekyll and Hyde. So that was very confusing. And it took a lot of naming it and therapy as I got older to Mm. understand it and and develop some compassion. But the resilience came, I mean, partly I developed some of it because of my deep love of horse riding. So my favorite thing to do horse riding was eventing. For people who don't know, that's really jumping (laughs) at speed. And so all of those fast, thrilling activities. I had tons of animals. So that was both an escape and also connection. Horse girl environments can be really difficult. So there was definitely a bit of bullying and a bit of nastiness in there too, which was, you know, I had to develop some other areas of resilience around that. But I was really successful at horse riding. And so I think I got a lot of validation from that. And also I was, when you do that, you stare down things you're frightened of. I could do that very successfully. I loved performing. That was another way. I think I, I mean, whether that's resilience or whether that was just learning to wear different outfits <laughs> to manage situations. I had a really strong relationship with my father that continues to this day. So he did provide some emotional consistency, yes. even if the situation didn't. So I don't know, you know, a combination of all of the above somehow, mm-hmm. and then somehow gaining the confidence at quite an early age, when I say early, it wasn't until I was about 18, to actually tell people that my mother was an alcoholic. And that was huge. And when, you know, I guess I lifted the shame and shone a light on it and took away its power. And really from that moment on, I, I was pretty resilient and I was quite proud of being resilient. I probably got more anxious as I got older and we can come back to that. So, because I'm going off piece. So basically I, I grew up like that. I was always a leader. I wasn't the most popular. You know, I could get on with just about anyone. Mm. So I was one of those kids who had a lot of friends, mm. but not a lot of close friends. So, you know, I did the kind of classic thing, you know, as prefect, vice captain, but always quite outspoken. I hate conflict and that's my mother, right? So I'd alternate the two. Fight or flight was was me. If I was driving the agenda for somebody else, Oh, yeah. If it was for myself, sometimes harder. I was always standing up for stuff. And that's something I definitely carried into my career. Yes. Uh, I was highly ambitious. And I thought I would be a foreign correspondent or an actor. My family mm-hmm. were in publishing. So I sort of grew up in it, traveled, came back, had debt, 
was lucky enough to walk into a job as a sales rep, just seemed to be pretty good at it, but got really bored with it. Really, really. <laughs> the value of continual improvement, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to know, you, you did mention the word anxiety. And so I'd love to explore that a little bit. What was the experience of anxiety to you? As I said earlier, anxiety is just a word, but it can mean so many different things and it can present itself in, in many different ways. How did anxiety come up for you? Well, I think when I was younger, it came up as worry. I, I was a warrior and the fight off. Warrior fight. and a warrior. Yeah, to- totally, right? We talk about resilience. I think maybe part of dad's way of managing things was we were strong, you know, we were, you didn't really get sick, you dealt with stuff. And so I would not have said that I experienced anxiety growing up. I experienced worry and I think I was hypervigilant, which probably is a <laughs> another face of anxiety without realising it. So I think for me, um, anxiety would have presented itself as feeling uncomfortable mm. in certain situations, feeling maybe like I didn't quite belong, that sort of slight out-of-body experience if I was in a situation where there was conflict. Absolutely fascinating and such magnificent transparency, Lou. Thank you for sharing these. It's interesting when we talk about anxiety and you say, I I was a warrior. I'm curious to know what sort of worry stories would come up for you, worry thoughts when you were growing up. Can you recall situations where worry was kicking in? Yeah, well, I mean, and again, a lot of it was to do with my mother. Um, So it would be is this situation going to become unsafe? She was very unpleasant when she'd been drinking. So things could switch really quickly. And so, yeah, the worry, but there would also be things like, oh, what if somebody finds out? What if my friends come? Then it would be things like, uh, definitely, what if people don't like me? You know, fairly classic stuff. What if I don't perform in the way that I want to perform? It's funny, isn't it? At the time, I mean, I was very conscious that I was dealing with stuff, but I also thought that all those things were pretty typical. Mm. It's only been more as an adult looking back at some of those things to go, oh, okay, that was a bit to manage as a little kid. And my brothers were a fair bit older than me, so they were out of the house mm. earlier than me. Well, I became conscious, and, and it's so interesting, you know, when I've seen therapists over the years, and now I've been, I've gone periodically, I've known at different times in my life when I needed some help. One of the big drivers for me was I wanted to break the cycle uh, with my mother and I wanted to make sure I was on an even keel before I had children. When I would see somebody and I would say, well, I'm feeling a bit anxious, they'd always say, oh no, there's, you know, there's no anxiety disorder. You don't have anxiety. You have, probably goes to your point, You there's this word, you're feeling worries about mm. It's really interesting because the consequence of worry and that discomfort with uncertainty, which is what worry is, when we're trying to get certainty in an uncertain situation, and you as a child having a mum who was so unpredictable and that level of uncertainty, the experience, that the byproduct of that is trying to find that certainty and so anxiety presents itself in so many different ways you know it is it is the fight or flight as we talked about uh the other cluster it often goes on unrecognized in many situations as you know typically we think of flight behaviors as anxiety like avoidance withdrawal procrastination 
But then there's the agitation element. Doesn't sound like that was necessarily coming out in the behavioral consequences. But the third cluster is this need for certainty and control. Sometimes that presents itself as perfectionism and high achievement. And I, I have to be, I have to achieve, I have to, have to. And this is sometimes that need around this is the way I will get certainty in my environment. Absolutely. And and I'm so aware of that. And in fact, my family pick up on it all the time. So, and this is something I have to be conscious of as in leadership is I will sometimes try, I'm definitely not a um, micromanager, but I sometimes in life and at work, I sort of need to try and see as much as I can what the runway looks like. And so the way my family will express that is, oh, can you stop managing us? Funny, <laughs> my kids, I think that there's something. Yeah, it, might, it might come with being, but my husband says it to me too. So Yeah, <laughs> and let's call it, we care, right? We care. We, we care. We, we care. care, exactly. Yeah, well, it's going to happen if, if I don't. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and if we dig deeper and take it to that deeper level of what is driving our behaviour, mm. you know, a need for control, is it fear of uncertainty, fear of something bad happening. So we jump into fear-driven actions yeah. of I have to check, I have to recheck, mm-hmm. I can't let go, I can't delegate, you know, in a, let's say, a leadership context. Or is it driven by values of I, really- I value the health and well-being of my family? Yeah. And so there's an element of boundaries are appropriate here checking in is appropriate here right yeah yeah it's really true and I think that's one of the things though when I mean we all grow up with stuff but is that check-in of is this appropriate or is this something is something else driving this and maybe that's sort of where anxiety sits is in that space of am I sitting in my values or have I moved into a space of fear-driven action? 100%. And that constant self-reflection is the superpower. Awareness is our superpower, but it's bloody hard (laughs) because that amygdala part of the brain just wants to take over. It's interesting because people in our lifetime, we experience tough stuff. Mm. And whether you call it trauma or just tough stuff, trauma is a word, but it talks to our life experience. And sometimes out of trauma can come deep empathy. And, you know, when we're in a position where we have to parent our parent Mm. because we're not getting stability or consistency or unconditional love, let's say, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm not talking to your experience Mm. necessarily in that. What can come out of that is deep empathy. And Mm -hmm. whether it's, brought about by trauma or brought about by values and just having been born with a big heart, let's say, um, doesn't necessarily matter, right? Because deep empathy is deep empathy. Absolutely. And I definitely have deep empathy. And one of the things I had to learn though was that I can be a bit porous. So, and I talked before about that being a bit conflict avoidant. So I had to learn how to develop those boundaries around myself. So not, not self-protection as such, but self, enough self-awareness. Because part of my empathy is I can almost step too much into somebody else's shoes. And it's important to sort of be able to recognize kind of their stuff versus my stuff. I think that's a skill 
that I've developed as I've got older, for sure. Absolutely. And it's the skill that brings it back to that heart connection and desire for moving forward in a, in a fabulous way professionally and personally while maintaining those, you know, it's okay to have self-protective boundaries. That is your right as a human being. It's your right to be assertive and to stand up to what you need. What, you know, this is the definition of assertiveness is respecting your own needs while still respecting the needs of others. That's so true. It's And perhaps part of that journey for many of us is really developing that self-respect. Absolutely. Empowered action is self-respect is your right. Mm. And what does that look like? And can you bring it back to heart and bring it back to your own needs? Really, really wonderful. So going back to your journey and your magnificent evolution, let's say, okay, so there you were. Yeah, so there I was. Learning how to negotiate the boundaries of empathy and kindness and just wanting to feel safe in a very complex environment and finding yourself in a sales role that you said was luck but was it luck or was it it was was luck and connection absolutely Mm. um as I said my family um were in the industry so I was very lucky and I'm very you know really really want to acknowledge that privilege I had a very lucky um, upbringing but my parents went broke when I was 16 so like and we had to sell the house we had you know like there was plenty of financial trauma in there as well from an early age I looked after myself financially so when I came and I started working there that was about getting financial independence and financial empowerment I was good at that job because I'm interested in people and I'm always really curious about people and it's one of the reasons I love traveling as well and you know I love people's stories I didn't think things were moving quickly enough there and that I I wasn't being promoted fast enough and it's so funny (laughs) about all the millennials and Gen Zers now and how impatient they are it's just as impatient so I took another role working for the ABC for their commercial division and that used to take me all around the country I was literally away two weeks of every month driving around Australia and it was amazing yeah managing the ABC centres, which were concessions of ABC shops. It was amazing and horrible all at the same time. It was a really (laughs) tough job. And my experience through all of my career has been that often the toughest jobs are the ones where you learn the most and are the ones that propel you forward. Absolutely. Discomfort as a precursor to growth, right? Yep. Yep, absolutely. And so I did that for a couple of years and then that propelled me into the role that I was talking about. And that was at Random House. Mm. I was the national sales manager and I was 25. Um, That's phenomenal. Yeah, it's a funny thing is at the time I didn't think, gosh, I'm young doing this job. I was just, I was really ready to do that job. I was younger than everybody else on the team. But it didn't really matter because I was learning from all of them. And I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were lots of areas in which I was really immature and had a lot to learn. But I've always been quite comfortable learning from people, again, connecting with them on a really human level. In this world of publishing and, you know, liaising closely with exceptional individuals in the world of creating books and and people's stories things I'm so curious to know who comes to mind in this amazing you know number of decades that you've worked in this industry who are some of the standouts dare I say (laughs) you mean authors yeah 
Oh, or, or individuals who you've come across in your experience, whether it's professional or personal. A few sort of funny stories of people who stuck with me and, and some of that is people who I worked with. So one of my first managers, I remember I got my business cards and they were written up as Louise Johnson, not Lou. And I went in and I said, actually, it's Lou. And he just handed me some liquid paper. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fantastic. It was just like, that's always stayed with me. Yes. My, my boss at the ABC centres, I only worked with him for two years, but I would say he's one of the best bosses I've ever worked with. He was no fuss. Mm. He uh, was quiet and quietly assured. And what was and his name? Doug. Doug? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember Doug's surname. I, I, he go, I sometimes see him up at our shopping centre. It's hilarious. Amazing. Well, um, well done, Doug. You are well done, Doug. Yeah. He just believed that I could do it. That's and nice. you think I was in a, I was leading all, all of that part of the business. So I was only about 23, 24 and he just backed me, I think, yes. without any fuss. Yes. And then somebody who stood out later was I worked closely with Louise Adler when I was vice president of the Australian Publishers Association. Anybody in publishing circles and anybody who's a politician and just about mm-hmm. anybody else knows Louise Adler. She's now the artistic director at Adelaide Writers Festival. And what uh, was it, some of the standout qualities? Of- uh, she, she also really championed me. She backed me. She pushed me. She has incredible energy. She's totally indomitable. I really love that. I hadn't had tons of female role models and I haven't had that many mentors. I've mentored a lot of people, but I haven't, I wouldn't say I've had that many. In terms of authors and other people, I mean, gosh, the people that I've got to learn from people every single day. For many years, I worked in a space that was full of fiction and, you know, that just lights up your life. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it was, I loved it when I stopped working in fiction because then it could be my, just something I really, really enjoyed because reading's always been one of my things. And working at Murdoch was brilliant because of the mandate that we set ourselves. It meant we were working with people who were really leaders in their fields of mm-hmm. all, you know, running the gamut of things that could actually enable you to, to live your life well. So that was incredible, really. Obviously, people like you, um, <laughs> Thank you. people like Ginny Mansberg, who uh, wrote the M word for us. Absolutely. Um, Ronnie Khan. I mean, in fact, I'm going to stop naming names because it really was just about everybody that I got to work with. So that was an incredible privilege. Yeah. Absolutely. I bumped into Ronnie on the weekend. So there you go. Ah, <laughs> it's a small world. And, and Ginny, amazing. And we, you know, we talk about paradigm shifts and, you know, the work that Ginny's doing to change the paradigm in the workspace around menopause and the challenges that women experience. And it's just such powerful work and an area that you're, you're passionate about as well, Lou. We approached Ginny to do that book. So a colleague and I, we were of a similar age and we were having a conversation and just going, it's just ridiculous <laughs> that we don't know about this stuff. We were talking about anxiety before of where it presents. The times that it's presented in my life have been around those big hormonal shifts, have been around pregnancy and have been around returning to work as a mother and definitely 
perimenopause and menopause, I mean, whoa, <laughs> just at the point in your life when you feel like you're totally supposed to have, you know, everything together. Your shit together. Yeah, I was going to say your shit together. I wasn't sure <laughs> where, but it's just at that point. And then suddenly, whew, you know, talk about saying, who am I? And everything that I've known about myself is suddenly being called into question. So, and that was one of the great things at Murdoch that we could say amongst ourselves, this is yeah, because really our audience was very much women like us and saying this is missing, we need to provide this information. And, yeah, Ginny's just, you know, was already in that space and is doing more and more in it. Oh, she's um, absolutely exceptional, you know, absolutely. Because she's just so straight speaking because what I'm really clear on, what I love doing is, you know, in the past always that's been as a publisher, is sharing information in a really straightforward way that it doesn't I can't stand it when things start getting earnest and a bit too you know I just like it's all about information being accessible and delivered in a really light and approachable way that is going to actually spark conversations because we overcomplicate things and I'm I'm very much we were talking about this just before we came on about this uh, mission to change the narrative around anxiety and on the weekend, I did a TEDx on changing the paradigm around anxiety and recognizing anxiety is just a word and mm-hmm. helping to bring it back. And much the same as the work that you're talking about with Ginny's work is, is about our common human experiences and leaning into us all being in this together and recognizing our humanity and learning that it doesn't have to be so hard to shift out of challenge into flourishing and thriving when we can embrace our common vulnerabilities and just allow that Mm. champion leadership to actually get out of ego and recognize we're not robots we do have vulnerabilities and let's just dig deep and be connected authentically and cut the bullshit right (laughs) totally and our ego is a massive part of it and I think talking workplace paradigms ego is king in the workplace and I say king (laughs) I've gendered that ego is king I mean I remember even not that long ago saying to somebody I'm you know I really want I'm really working on my ego and they went oh no you need to have an ego and it's like oh (laughs) no yeah humility is not a dirty word right (laughs) oh my god humility is high performance but I I nearly said for f's sake right Humility is high performance and ego is suboptimized. Ego is so below the line. Ego is fight or flight. So let's really kick the shit out of this and really embrace high performance goals and recognize well-being is not a bolt-on. Psychological safety is not a bolt-on. This is so core to high performance, but the good news is it's core to thriving as well. And it's core to enabling every person to thrive, women, men, kids, teens. When we can build this stuff from the ground up, you spoke so beautifully, transparently about your kids, helping them to feel proud of who they are neurodiversity we do have nuances as human beings let's lean into mm-hmm. being proud of who we are and recognize the, the superpowers may i say of what goes on with that gosh we could talk for hours and hours okay. <laughs> um, i would love to ask you the question lou about about your kids and you know i learned so much in the mirror of my children what are you learning in the mirror of your your magnificent children at the moment Oh, so much, so much. In fact, I have on my LinkedIn profile that I I learn from them every single day. My children always 
have always, since they were born, pushed me to be a better version of myself. Just at those moments where you're going, oh, can I just have a rest? But they push you to do more. And I just mean that in because they're curious, because the world's opening up for them, because they want to explore. I've learned so much from both of my daughters. They're both brave and very interested in social issues. And they just teach me stuff all the time. They teach me about what it feels like to be in the world as somebody of their age. And they teach me about connection and they teach me about speaking up. They push me as much as I encourage them to speak out. I mean, the list could go on. We're very lucky. We have a lot of meals together and we talk about really great stuff. But my older daughter pushed her sister to speak up about something at school recently and said, I will come with you. And she's not even at the school anymore. And I was like, that you know that I really learned that was like that was advocacy in action. Yes. That's gold. That's absolute gold. And and leaning into those beautiful opportunities to connect. And oh, I love that so much. If you were to share some key messages to help people who experience anxiety, who are listening, who are watching, what are some things that you would love to share, Lou, in your your amazing life experiences? <laughs> that we all experience it. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this writing now and mm-hmm. is to say that people who might appear to have been real or are successful are human too. Yeah. I said to you before we started this, I was having a really low moment this morning mm-hmm. and they always, I'm naturally really optimistic. So they always take me a bit by surprise. So yeah, to remember you're human. <laughs> To read your book, <laughs> thank you. which has got really got all those incredible tools. And what I love about the way that you have you share that framework is that you the whole time are showing us that we're all human and that we all experience so many of these moments that it's not linear, mm-hmm. that just because you're feeling in a really good place today, you might not wake up tomorrow feeling the same, but there are things that you can do that can help to ease you back into a, a better mindset, that also to to look outside. My little mantra is, you know, really that joy lies in the cracks between. And I just think that's really true. And that's something that I hold on to all the time. Yeah. Mm, how beautiful is that? That's so, so magnificent. You're at an incredible stage in your life, so many opportunities. Where to from here? I'm so curious to know. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Um, I'm having a lot of fun exploring. I didn't set out to do the writing that I've been doing. I did it because, just because I sort of almost needed to, which is always what I say to people about writing, do it just because you have to. And then I wanted to share it because I, I got had a sense it could be helpful and that old fight or flight, I, I, not that I was seeking to fly, but often those things that are a bit taboo or that you shouldn't do, I tend to go straight towards them. So look, I, I will be doing something. I've, again, I've got on my LinkedIn profile, empowerment and inclusion through human connection. So I will be doing that in one form or another, whether it be in publishing, whether it be with my own work, whether it be in, in, you know, something to do with, you know, workplace paradigms, something in that broad general space. Empowerment and inclusion through human connection. Wow, I cannot wait. Um, So beautiful to chat with you today. I know we could have talked for hours and hours and I'm so excited to continue the conversation with you, Lou. Congratulations on everything you have achieved so far and very, very excited for the where to from here. Beautiful talking with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jodie. Thank you. Take care. See you. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.